Hi, Jeff here from the University of Kentucky. Ciao, I'm Kristen from the University of Minnesota. Salut, this is Tina from the University of Colorado. And alam, greetings. This is Stuart from the University of Mississippi. Welcome to Pharmacy Fika. A podcast for pharmacy educators by pharmacy educators. Where we discuss teaching and learning, scholarship, and academic life. In Sweden, uh, a fika is a coffee break, but it's much more than that. It's a state of mind and attitude. It's all about slowing down. And finding time for friends and colleagues. While you sip a beverage and enjoy a little something nice to eat. So join us. Welcome to the FICA, another episode. I think this is epidose number 10, which is hard to believe. Very grateful for the very positive feedback we've been getting from folks all over the world about the episodes and the topics we're covering. Before we get started, per usual, we wanted to talk a little bit about snack choices this morning. I actually brought a Nature Valley Sweet and Salty Nut Almond Bar. I love these almond bars. I get them at Costco. They come in bulk, so you can't beat it for the price and the taste. So have that and a cup of coffee, which really is more like dessert because I put in that caramel macchiato stuff, and it's sort of like dessert with caffeine. (laughs) Jeff, you usually don't bring much, so I'm going to turn to you next to see if maybe, perhaps, it's something beyond water today. It was, but I got hungry earlier and I ate it. (laughs) It was fruit and nuts, but I couldn't wait, so there we go. (laughs) How about you, Tina? Well, I came back from the fantastic FIP meeting in Sevilla, Spain, with some great memories and wonderful time meeting with friends that I haven't seen in a while, but also pneumonia. So to go along with my pretty substantial antibiotics, I have to eat small things pretty steadily. So my snack today is an albuterol inhaler, which I may be puffing on during the session to make sure that my lungs make it through the recording. Oh, I'm so sorry. Well, to round us all out, I'll I'll be way off on the continuum here. I just had a donut. Wow. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> I finished it already because I was celebrating submitting a manuscript. So I was excited about that. And I also have my Irish breakfast tea with me this morning. Excellent. Well, speaking of manuscripts, this kind of relates to our topic today, which is deep work. How do we get into focused time? to do really productive things, the stuff that really is important in our work in academia, but also to our students too. Learning is is deep work, right? We chose this topic, I think, because all of us struggle to have time dedicated to doing the kind of work that takes concentration and effort and cognitively demanding. But that's what academia is all about, is a lot of cognitively demanding work. And yet, I think we're finding it more and more challenging, all of us, to get to engage in some flow. So that's our topic today. Cal Newport wrote a book some years ago called Deep Work, And it's a terrific book. I think it was a little ahead of the curve because there's many other books now on this topic about how to get into undistracted work time. 
His definition of deep work was really cognitively demanding work that required focused time to do it, and particularly the work that was of greatest value to an organization or a company, because that's the kind of work that produces value. Learning produces value to us. We're learning new skills, and that takes concentrated time. And that's the basic definition of deep work. Versus shallow work, which you can do on autopilot, it doesn't add a lot of value, and stuff that you already know or it already exists and you're just assembling it and assorting it, it's a lot of the administrative kind of stuff that we all have to deal with all the time. It's not a clear, bright line between the two. Of course, there's some shallow work that's valuable, too. It needs to be done, but it's not the thing that adds the most value to organizations. So I wanted to start by asking you all, what are some of the things, examples of work that you really find you need some deep work time to accomplish? I brought up writing so I can talk about writing. Um, that's definitely a space where I feel like I need I need not just dedicated time, but that time that can be thoughtful and meaningful and substantial and all the characteristics of deep work and without that distraction piece too, you know, I think that's another part of the definition is, is not shifting back and forth. I'm, I'm checking my email. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But Jeff and I wrote a paper a while back about productivity in, in writing. And one of the things that we advocate uh, in there is, is scheduling it. Mm -hmm. And I, I, that's a strategy that I practice. I have three blocks each week, just 45 minutes where I am writing I consider it paying myself first, you know, like there's all the things that need to get done in the day, but I'm going to get up in the morning and do that thing that's meaningful to me personally and that is important to my career and do that writing three times a week. And I also have a block of time each week that I read mm -hmm. and, and I can just kind of immerse myself in whatever the, the, the topic of the moment is that I need to do my job. Uh, and then I have a block a week that I do DEI work and try and enhance my own understanding of inequities. All of those for me re really require like just sitting and in, in some sort of comfort and immersing myself in the work. I think the, the biggest thing for me for deep work as I've been thinking about it this week preparing for this podcast is trying to think through two different sets of ideas or three or four sets of different ideas and meld them together and how do they fit and what can they do to make change, make something better? And that's probably that that's probably for me the most powerful that I really, really have to think with no distraction. Cause if there's any distraction that just doesn't work. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of, with my administrative hat of sort of systems mapping and looking at how our systems are not only are not designed for deep work anymore, but across either the compliance things that we have to do or we're using tools that were not designed for the things that we're using them for. And to be able to step back and sort of map that out and figure out which parts of this we might be able to subtract. That's something that I'm, I've been committed to for this year. But also the interrelationships between what makes people personally successful and what make our system successful. I really need that deep time to be able to see those relationships well. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think the nature of, quote, deep work is not any one thing. It's really undistracted time, cognitively demanding, and stuff that can't be accomplished in just five minutes of thought, right? It, it takes some prolonged period. I don't know what the right amount of time is because if it's too long, we get tired, right? Trying to do it for like an eight-hour block is mm-hmm. is just too much, I find anyways. I know there's some people who like to do big writing blocks, like a whole weekend of writing, but that is just not me. My brain can't quite handle that. So I have a question for you all that I was looking over deep work again, <laughs> and he mentioned the four philosophies for integrating deep work the monastic, which is that just radical minimization of everything, the bimodal, which is dividing time between stretches of of deep work and non-deep work, the rhythmic, which was the kind of regular habit set within a a particular routine, and the journalistic, which is you just do it whenever you find the time. So which do you all fit into, or is there a combination maybe? I am so habit. Mm-hmm. I, I I have to have a routine, and the the writing three times a week, the reading block on Thursday afternoon, the DEI work on Friday. I anticipate them all. I look forward to them. I'm ready for them. I know what task I'm going to do during that time, and it's it's having that routine that I think is part of what makes it productive, even though it's not huge blocks of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say I'm much more of a bimodal person, meaning I tend to plan out my weeks in advance, but there's no regular pattern to it. Because to me, my work life is so disrupted by travel or teaching commitments or meetings that each week I try to plan deep work time. But it's not the same times each week. The amount changes from week to week. It's more project-oriented. So I would say I'm much more of a bimodal person. I don't have a regularity to it that I could point to, like every Friday is my time to do this. But I do schedule at least 10 hours a week, try to have at least 10 hours a week of good quality deep work time. But that looks different from week to week. That's so interesting to me because I don't pay attention to the amount of time per week, and and maybe I should, but I, I really pay attention to like, this is my time and I'm not going to give up that time or move that time unless there's absolutely no other alternative. I'm going to keep that Tuesday and that Wednesday where it sounds like you're working around other people's demands and and things to try and block other time for a deep work time. Everyone has a different, different approach. Interesting. Yeah. Although I will say this, I think similar to you, Kristen, once I schedule it, it, it is a meeting. I do schedule it. I just don't schedule it every Friday because, well, every Friday is different for me. I don't know if I'm traveling and so on. But once it's scheduled, it's like any other appointment. I don't give it up unless it's an emergency, you know, like my child is very sick or my wife needs me for something or the dean calls me in for an emergency meeting. I might give up the time. I usually tell people I have another commitment at that time. Can we look for an alternative? I don't just give it up easily. In fact, rarely do I do. So I'm a little more rhythmic. I really try to focus on the design of almost every session that's in my calendar. One of the things that I was fascinated when I first read Cal Newport's deep work is he also wrote a book for students called How to Be a Straight A Student. And essentially, they are the same book, but instead of, I mean, I don't think students would read something called deep work, right? (laughs) They'd be like, yeah, 
no, that's not my problem. So what he did was he focused for them on the outcome. And so he really teaches them how to transform the sessions they do to allow that deep work to happen. And so I try to, every type of session I'm doing, as it as it comes along, design it so that deep work can occur within that session. If it's a meeting with another person, if it's a, you know, a session with a group, I'm like, what can we, how can we embed some deep work into that session? Because that at the end of it is going to feel the most fulfilling. So I, I think I'm seeking out that sort of some rhythm in each of my sessions that f- can feel like deep work. That's a great goal, a great aspiration, right? (laughs) It's definitely an aspirational goal. But isn't it true that like, if we had meetings that had an element of deep work in it, I mean, how much more motivational would that be? How much more engaged Mm -hmm. would we be if we didn't feel like we were just pushing paper around or giving our rubber stamp on things or whatever? Jeff, is there a, a particular style that you follow? Are you a monastic person? Oh, I would like to be monastic, but I, I, no, I'm not going to be monastic. I'm a bimodal. And I think the way you described it, Stuart, fit me pretty much to a T. But it's just not at a certain time every day, every, you know, just depends. I have things that interrupt it, but it's there. It's always there. It's just in a different place for a different amount every week. Yeah. Cal Newport has a podcast and he's got, you know, a number of other books that are great. Digital Minimalism is another one. A World Without Email is another one. But they all have this kind of theme around them. How do you reduce distractions so that you can be productive? And um, one of the things that he talks about in several of his books is this time management strategy of the three C's of capturing, configuring, and control. And capturing just means capturing everything in some sort of system that you use. And a lot of people like paper calendars. I use a project management system where everything, and I mean everything, including my personal life, goes into it because it's a system. I know it's there and I can trust it. And it's available on all my devices. My wife is a paper person. She loves having her calendar and to-do lists, carries it around with her every, that scares me to death because if it was lost, my whole life would be gone. You know what I mean? So that's why I do like it electronically because it's, up in the cloud and I can access it any any place. But I don't know what you all use as a system to kind of capture everything, but also knowing what needs to be done. I don't know if you have a system that you use. I use a, a Kanban board. I have a physical one and I do love my digital tools. But what I find is it's like why I don't have an Apple Watch. Because if I have a single use device or a single use system, then the system doesn't distract me. And I'm very prone to go, you know what I could do with my digital calendar? I could recolor all the things that start, you know, and I will start putting a ton of time into that that makes it look better, but doesn't necessarily personally for me add value. And in fact, some of my key sources of distraction were my digital tools. But other people, you know, I, I know people that use the digital version of a Kanban board. I mean, there's lots of programs that do that as well. And they like moving your post-it over. And, yes. Um, yeah. yeah, moving it along the continuum. I'm just reflecting on that because I use both. Yeah. I, I use both. And I, I it, part of it is 
enjoying seeing the movement and sometimes pulling it off the wall. And it just, I don't know, somehow it's more satisfying than digitally like click and move. Um, so for some things like bigger projects, I still map out on on paper and a wall. And then for other things, I manage like the day-to-day digitally. Yeah, I I either don't have a system or I have a horrible system. I don't know which <laughs> this actually falls into. But, you know, a lot of my stuff, my work stuff is on my Outlook calendar. It's just there. Mm-hmm. But I also have paper on my desk for things that are front of mind short term. If there are projects that I'm working on, whether it's a paper or presentation, I have those in folders on my computer, but I also have a little notes text document of these are the things I'm keeping track of. This is due. So it's not definitely not in one place. It's not probably not efficient, but I haven't spent the time trying to find something more efficient. Yeah. David Allen in his book, and this is not David Allen, my former dean here at the (laughs) University of Mississippi and now the president of the University of Health Sciences in St. Louis. Um, But David Allen, the author, productivity author on getting things done, talks about this capturing everything into a trusted system and getting it out of your mind down on either on paper and a digital thing. And that does relieve a lot of stress. It's just like, I know I've captured it. It's there. And I I have found the two most transformative things from reading that book and then Cal Newport stuff is capturing everything into into a trusted place. So I don't have to think about it anymore. And then the other part of it is the reviews. So I do a a weekly review on Friday, plan my next week. And that's where I start blocking out all this time. And that becomes sacred, just like any other appointments with myself. I do a monthly review. Like, what do I need to do this month? And start to think about, okay, this week, that week. And then a quarterly review. Like, what are the big things? What are the big projects? What are the things that are part of this semester versus that semester? And it's all planning. You know, all these reviews become planning. And I have found that to be so helpful Mm. because I'm much more proactive than being reactive when I do these reviews and at regular intervals. So about the planning part, the planning, I do have... A specific rhythm to it. One thing that I um, I'm curious about is so we have we come up with a system that works for us individually or, or across our personal and professional work, but in some cases that system is influenced by the other people that we work with. I'll just give you an example. If you work in a place that has a calendaring system, and most of us at this point would, and your campus may be a Google campus or a Microsoft campus or whatever, but these are the tools that are available to you freely but not everyone uses them. Mm. Not everybody in the group uses a calendar or not everybody puts their stuff in. So you can't tell it's hard to, it's harder to set meetings because you're having to send a bunch of emails or stick an ice pick in your eye, doodle poll. And in some ways I I felt like at this point in time, it's actually not very respectful of your colleagues not to use a system that allows sessions to be, booked fairly easily. Yeah. Um, but that's a somewhat awkward conversation because they're like, no, I just walk around with my calendar. I know where I'm supposed to be. But it actually makes it harder for your colleagues, which then, you know, sort of shifts that work 
to another person. I mean, I, I don't know if anybody has had any strategies about that. At Monash, they actually said everyone will have their calendar in Google Calendar. You don't have to show everybody what you're doing, but you have to at least be able to see right. busy or not busy because we're we're losing a lot of productive time trying to set meetings. And I thought, wow, that was that was actually great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I mean, I think there's some organizational efficiency plus, you know, everyone understanding the tools and their capabilities. Mm. You know, the same thing with document sharing and habits oh. around that, <laughs> naming conventions. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things when you work with other people that if you can all be on the same page, it just makes life so much more productive. But I don't think we spend time talking about that. I mean, I'm not saying that there's a best approach like there's a best naming convention or there's a best tool. We just need to agree on one, right? And once we know what it is, then we can begin to work with it in a collaborative way. But when we're all doing our own thing, it just becomes really hard. I think that would be a great session at an AACP meeting is even just to talk about, here's some principles for collaborative work that actually will reduce emails. But Well, so we've talked a little bit about capturing stuff, having some sort of system helps, committing and blocking time for some deep work at regular intervals. But once you're in the session, once you approach a deep work session, how do you minimize the distractions? Because that's another issue, right? You, you could block the time, but not use it effectively. So what are some strategies you use to make sure that that time is really deep for you? I think part of it is just setting my mind to the work and recognizing that when that time comes up and that that deep work is going to happen, I need to give myself permission to focus on it, that all the other things just need to sit and wait for a while, whether it's email or, you know, people I, I promise to send things to, all of that can wait. And right now I'm focusing on this task and I'm allow myself to do that. And I think that permission giving is is really important. So I don't feel like compelled or guilty that I'm not doing all these other little things, these little surface things on the side and treating it like a gift. So for me, I think step one is the environment. And I'm, I'm, I'm reading more and more about things about how much the environment influences everything. So that environment is one getting away from people. Well, then that's not even that's not even necessarily even closing the door because I can close my door and start to work on stuff and people see the door close and knock 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 and it's it's interrupted. It's getting a getting away. Obviously, getting away from the technology pieces. There's no computers, no iPads, no phones. And the other thing that I've recently started doing more, I have either a piece of paper or I have a, actually a little small notebook of. When the distraction is in my mind, if something else pops up that is not what I'm actually trying to work on, that I can like write it down and dispose of it and get it out of my mind versus keeping going back and forth. Yeah, I think it's very much similar, Jeff. I start in the morning. I use that morning pages technique. I also have my little parking lot. So if some obtrusive thoughts come in, I just write it down over there. I know it's been captured and I won't forget. A lot of times I start that with hand writing. I will, if I'm working on a paper, usually type that, but I turn off all email notifications, everything, don't have my phone there. And I will tend to use a, a Pomodoro technique of I do about 20 minutes, then I take a little break. Might walk around, get a, grab a cup of coffee, something like that, 20 more minutes, take a little break, 20 more minutes, and then take a little bit bigger break. 
Cal Newport talks about rituals prior to a deep work session to prepare your mind for it. So like preparing the cup of coffee, if that's your ritual, or your cup of tea, setting out your workspace in a particular way, and then also having a ritual at the end of the day to to prevent you from continuing your work forever and ever, because that's another thing. I think some of us get into it, and then and that's one of my problems, actually. I start getting into it, and then it just bleeds on and on and on. So that psychological preparation at both ends of a deep work session is really critical. I do think having that washout period or palate cleanser is really important to end and begin your next thing. And physically, if you were walking to a meeting, you would have some time. But when we're doing Zooms, we don't always give ourselves that time. And you have to also train your team. If you see a 15-minute open space... Don't take it. <laughs> I'm not free during that 15 minutes. That's no, that, my psychological preparation yeah, time to review the agenda, look at the things, get my yeah. mind set for whatever the next session is going to be. Yes. Right. Yeah. Very important. Yeah. yeah. Um, I use a lot electronic tools for all my capture. And I know some people find that very distracting. I like the handwritten stuff, but I use project management software to combine everything. So everything, all tasks related to a project, all documents related to a project, all communications and emails get all placed into the project all together. I find these tools to be very helpful to organize it all. And so that's what I've used. It's sort of like if you think of a publication software where you're submitting things to a journal, all communications, all documents, all tasks and deadlines are all in one space together. And I do that for all my projects, whether it's committee works, things that I'm working on publishing. I just find it very helpful because it's all there. It's all in one spot. Um, But it takes energy to configure all that and maintain it. And a lot of people don't have that kind of energy to do it. So that's the negative of, about using an electronic system and having everything in one place. It just takes a lot of maintenance to keep it well organized. I did want to end today with a quote. Another book that's really influenced my thinking is Oliver Berkman's book called 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for the Mortals. You can try to manage your time and be super productive and all this, but in the end, you're not going to be. Uh, because you will never, ever, ever catch up with all the things that you want to do. So I'm going to read this quote because I think it's, it is so true, and I have to remind myself of this pretty regularly, which is you can abandon the delusion that if you just manage to squeeze a bit more work, you'd finally reach the commanding status of feeling, quote, in control and, quote, on top of things at last. The truly valuable skill here isn't the capacity to push yourself harder, but to stop and recuperate, despite the discomfort of knowing that work remains unfinished, emails unanswered, other people's demands unfulfilled. And I think that's a good place to stop today, because trying to push ourselves further and further and further isn't healthy for us. So it's great to be productive with the time, but it's also great to leave it behind. Well said, well said. Well, with that, I will say goodbye to everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. See ya. Be kind to yourself. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Fika, a podcast where we enjoy coffee and conversations. If you liked this episode, please pass it along to a colleague and be sure to rate us. 
You can share your reactions on Twitter at PharmacyFika, but please be kind. This is a safe space. Got a question or want to suggest a topic for a future episode? Leave us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash PharmacyFika. Bye for now. Namaste. Das Vidanya. Au revoir. Au revoir.